500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow g'day this is expand the phantom podcast our website is chronicalchamber.com and you can subscribe to our podcast via youtube or through your favorite podcast apps Today, we will be chatting with Pity Anderson, who is the most credited fruit Australian writer who, funny enough, lives in Sweden. So, g'day, Stephen. How are you, mate? I'm good, Jermaine. And yourself? Yeah. <coughs> Sorry, mate. I've, uh, Just got I'm, a frog in your throat there, dude. Yeah, I'm battling the man flu. Uh, I'm tested for COVID. I don't have it. Uh, just just the, the ordinary man flu. Um but I put together a bed for my daughter and rearranged a room. So I think I've powered on quite well. And I, I think I deserve a medal for, um, uh, for persevering through the man flu. And all the blokes knows just how bad that is. <laughs> You're at death's door. Well done. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so no, it's good to uh, have you. I'm looking forward to tonight. Um, uh, it's, it, it should be good. Um, uh, Peter, how are you, sir? G'day. What I've been practicing is a prawn instead of a shrimp all week. So. <laughs> prawn. Yes. So do you know the difference between a prawn and a shrimp now? No, because Barb is complaining all the time. She doesn't like having shrimps thrown at her. <laughs> so all the Australians will know that it's a, a prawn on the barbie and not a shrimp on the barbie, even though Crocodile Dundee says otherwise. Um if you if that just goes over everyone's head, just Google, um, <laughs> and you will uh, learn about that. So, uh, welcome, uh, Peter. Now, before Thank we go you. any before we go any further, we have to make sure that whether I have actually pronounced your name correctly or whether I've butchered it and I've butchered it for the past a hundred podcasts. So. For those, you may have noticed I've, I've, I've actually mentioned his name yet, so I was waiting for you <laughs> to butcher it. <laughs> so this is this is a chronicle chamber tradition where we, uh, even though we've got an English teacher on the podcast normally, he still doesn't know how to say certain words. So could you, <clears throat> for the record, let us know how to say your name? Well, it's spelled Peter Anderson, but it's pronounced throat wobbler mangrove. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, Peter Anderson, but uh, it's just my nickname. Actually, it's not Peter; it's not my real name. But that's what everybody's been calling me for five years. Okay, cool. I oh, fifteen that. years. I'm only twenty-five. So, <laughs> <laughs> so w- what is what is your actual first name then, uh, Peter? Uh, Peter. 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 Okay. Yeah. And, I can and... say Peter. I can say Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Does um, Peter have a, an English translation? Uh, or is it just a short form of, of Pete? No, it's um, just what people call it Peter, 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 uh, in my region where I come from, in the very south. Uh, people were often called Peter. Yeah. So, no, I don't I'm know. stuck. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. No, it's like- good because... Uh, 30 years ago or 25 years ago, I had an editor called Peter Anderson, and he sometimes got my salary by mistake. <laughs> oh, no. I, I went with my nickname. Ah, yeah. just to get mm. some um, clarification there. 
Awesome. So welcome. Uh, to start us off, you've kind of given us a bit of a clue about your age. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your age or your age range? Um, and then just your history and uh, I guess just where you grew up, how you grew up, um, the comics that you grew up with, and, and then we can just kind of go from there. All right, this is a three-hour <laughs> monologue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, in, in well, a minute well, or two. <laughs> yeah, all right. Age range. Well, I, I'm closer to sixty than to forty. Yep. Sort of. <laughs> and, uh, and we kind of like forty-five, but the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, did you always grow up with comics? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you grew up in Sweden uh, 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 as well? Yeah, I drew my first comic books when I was like five. And uh, I did it in preschool. I used to take four sheets of paper, throw them together to eight, six size comic books. Just drew comics. Mainly violent comics, of course. Just... <laughs> Cowboys versus dinosaurs versus musketeers and uh, medieval knights. And uh, I learned reading thanks to uh, Swedish Mad Magazine when I was five. So I, I could read when I began school in 1975, first grade. And uh, Mad Magazine was a huge influence to me when I was a kid. And then in the 70s, I read Tintin, of course, the Franco-Belgian stuff, and um, Batman, everything. There were loads of comics back then, so I read them all, except for the horror comics, which I wasn't allowed to buy. <laughs> so buy them now instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of interesting thing is you've made a couple of uh, stories with, which with, with um, horror themes in them. Yeah, yeah. I was always fascinated by horror, and I loved it. You know, I saw the covers, of the news agent. I was always looking at. You know, I, I want to at one someday, and then someday I actually bought it. Four five years later, but still. <laughs> now I have it. I wanted this when I was a kid, but now I have. It. And uh, then when I was like six or seven, someone gave me this one. Oh, wow. This is the uh, 1972 Phantom Christmas special. 1973 here, but published 1972. And this was the very first Phantom publication I read. It's in good nick there. You looked after it. It's in good. It's in good condition. You've looked after it well. No, I bought it two weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was it about the? Did you? So you, you read this. You got this. You got the comic. Did it capture you, or was it not until later? Or it wasn't until a couple of years later. But I remember when I read this, I thought the um, cover which, of course, was like a horror comic yes. cover. The, I thought yeah. this was extremely scary, <laughs> the Green Witch. And uh, 
this story about the uh, where is it? Uh, the Gula Gula witch, uh -huh. which I thought it was. Uh, I found it scary when I was like five, six years old. And today is just a silly story, actually. But I found it scary when I was five, six. And then in uh, 1976, I bought my first issue of uh, Phantom, the regular comic, number 18, 1970. Vultures. And that was the glory years of Phantom in the... In yeah, the yeah. And that, that story, Dread, really. Mm. The darkness and the, the tone of it. So darkness has followed you from a young age then? <laughs> and you've had this continued <laughs> until now? <laughs> Dark, darkness and humour. <laughs> and that's probably the thing that's... Because um, uh, we'll, we'll go into specific stories later, but Jungle Love is just just captured me with just that humorous side of it. And then even in... You've got the, uh, the horror-style comics... Um, stories that you've created, but even in the horror ones, there's always the, there's always that almost a slapstick style humor, which I guess comes from the mad influence as well. Yeah, I think horror should be fun, like a roller coaster ride. It shouldn't be like all gruesome horror because mm. that's not not enjoyable. So you, you, the horror can be extremely gruesome and uh, horrifying. But you need something to lighten it up, make characters more uh, humane and human and uh, likable. And uh, normal people in real life make jokes. Mm. We, we talk right now, we, we <laughs> crack jokes every now and then because that's what people do. And if you don't do that in a story, if characters don't do that, behave like normal people, it gets pretty bad, tedious, or maybe just too dark to be fun and enjoyable. Mm. So were you always a writer? Like, did you always write, or did you have a career before you... Uh... I, I wanted to be an artist. I was drawing. I was drawing until the late 80s, early 90s, when I gave up. My plan in the 1980s uh, was uh, after graduating, I wanted to go to the Joe Cuba School in the uh, USA. It's this big, famous comic book artist uh, school. And then I realized it way too And uh, then I got a job at Samic writing the, uh, the humor comics. And so you've been doing that since uh, the 90s? Uh, writer for Samic, writing scripts. Uh, uh, I sold my first script to Samic in 1989. Oh, wow. Or uh, Orson is a, a humor comic. And um, so, and I'm still writing the same comic. <laughs> that's a long, that's a long No, well, well, I had a, had a very long break in the 90s. Uh, the jobs writing comics in the 90s got tough. And I, I, can, I, I think I lost a couple of jobs in the 90s. So instead, I started writing about movies. So I became a movie critic journalist. 
columnist in 1993. I wrote for newspaper, like that. So I mainly worked with uh, movies until my comeback at Egmont in uh, 2015, I think. Okay. I, I did do a little bit of research and I saw there was a movie, is it called Frostbitten? Was it a, yeah. a Swedish zombie or a Swedish? I, I, I forgot it's, what it was. it's a vampire movie. Vampire, that's what I meant to say, yeah. Being... I haven't, of course, yeah. seen it. I just, saw, I just saw it when I did a bit of a Google on you and, and found this movie. Oh, he writes movies as well. Uh, I was the script doctor on it, so I, I rewrote the screenplay for it. Okay. It should be available in Australia, I think. Find it on a streaming service somewhere. Yeah, probably. It's out on DVD and Blu-ray all over the world. So it's yep. sold like forty, fifty countries, I think. Yep. Oh wow! It had a wow. decent budget. Yeah. So what thirty-five. What was that experience like? Was it uh, was it was it nice doing that, or was it just a job? Well, the company was run by friends of mine, so I, I was part of the company for a short while, and uh, oh, it, it was fun. I think the plan was to go ahead and uh, make more movies, for me to write more movies, and I tried to write a few more movies, but nothing ever happened. So let's see what happens in the future. Maybe I, maybe we make a move again. I don't know. Hmm. And so you, then you went back to Egmont, which took over Semic. Um, and is that when you started writing for, is it 91? How do you, how do you say it in Swedish? Is it 91? Nittietan. Nittietan. Yeah, that's the one. Nittietan. Private so, number 91. So is that when you started <laughs> writing for them and that? Yeah, because uh, what happened was that a couple of old friends of mine here it is. A couple of friends of mine had become the new editors. And they asked me to come back and write it. And so I did. And I suddenly went from writing almost no comics at all to writing a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm writing a lot more comics now than I did when I started out. And you uh, I used to be extremely productive in the 90s. That's how, that's how I remember it, but I think I'm more productive now. It's more fun now to write for Egmont. The new editors, my friends, they're extremely enthusiastic and uh, the huge comic fans. They know a lot and uh, it's fun. It's fun never writing this stuff. No, that's good. Well, that's good to hear. Um, so you've been with Egmont uh, for a number of years now, but we probably, um, or us here in Australia, know you more from your work with Fru um, that's been going for the last few years. How, how do you find working with Fru? Well, how, how do you end up getting a gig with Fru, I should ask, first? Uh, thanks to Andreas, the, the new Phantom editor. Maybe we should explain who Andreas is to those who came in late. <laughs> Andreas Eriksson, the editor of uh, Phantom in Sweden. Uh, I, I tried writing the Phantom uh, several times during the last 20, 30 years. I was in touch with uh, Ulf Granberg 20 years ago. And uh, I, I, I sent 
think it was like 15 years ago, I, I sent a synopsis to Ulf uh, Gornberg called Shangri-La. Oh. And uh, he, he wrote back, I you know, said, well, well, thank you. I read it when I have the time. And uh, last time I met Ulf, I think it was just before the pandemic. I said, you, you never commented on my synopsis. <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> it was like 15 years later. Uh, and uh, then I wrote a couple of uh, stories that I sent to Miklas Ola. Over after Ulf. And uh, he never replied to my emails. And uh, then I spoke to Andreas. Said that Fru uh, has a new, a new crew, new editors, and they're looking for a new original material. So I sent a message to Glenn Ford via Messenger on Facebook, and he replied within minutes. Just wrote, "Nice, send them over." So I translated two or three synopses had uh, lying around and sent them to Glenn, and he. Said, good. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> it's like a total contrast. You know, you, you couldn't get anyone, you couldn't get an answer for, well, it was about 30, 40 years. And then um, within minutes, three, four minutes, he got, <laughs> you know, sold, <laughs> send him over. There was one story he didn't buy. Uh, there was one uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story because it was too similar to some other project. Oh, yeah. Who had it in the making. So but the other those... one was. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, of those synopsis, there was Shangri-La. Was there any other synopsis that we've actually seen that's been published? It was Shangri-La, and it was the Jekyll and Hyde, and I don't remember it. Maybe it was just two. Okay. What is it? Like 2017 is five years ago, so <laughs> I can't remember. Well, since then, we've, um, we've seen your work in, I think, I've counted 14 issues from, from through. I think it's about nine, like, there's been one two-parter, two three-parters. Well, I think the, the current French one is, well, we've had three parts of it. And um, so I think that's nine stories altogether, um, which is, you know, I think that that's pretty good after just sending off a, a little message on Facebook to say, oh, I've got some work here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But something I found interesting, though, is of those um, stories that you've written, um, the 19th Phantom seems to get a lot of Guernseys. You seem to do, write a lot of stories for the 19th Phantom. Is it something about the 19th Phantom in particular or the era that he's based in that, that draws you to writing uh, stories? It's, like it's the era, era yeah. definitely. Because No, I, I'm very fascinated, fascinated by uh, that period of time, you know, the architecture, especially in Europe. And... Uh, this new six-parter, the Belle Epoque, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is like my, how should I put it, my love letter to things I really like. It's like, you know, French, old French pop culture and French culture in general and the uh, comics I like and uh, French uh, comic artists I like. Yeah, this is like, this was my way to make a Jacques Tardot I disappeared. I oh, know. No, sorry, I'm just oh, for those sorry. who are um, 
uh, who are on YouTube. Uh, as we talk, we're just going to be flicking through some of his stories. So this All is right. in Paris. <laughs> you just want blacks. So, okay. <laughs> All right. Now that this was my, my my way to make something in the vein of uh, Jacques Pardy and uh, th things things I grew up loving. Mm. And what's great about the Phantom is like uh, the Phantom has been around since fifteen thirty six. So you you can tell stories from. 500 years ago uh, and uh, you don't need a time machine <laughs> you can just pick an era or place you're interested in and just figure out the way to put the event the thing, the thing that I like about these stories is that it, we're filling in gaps about that phantom um, you know, we're getting six stories and I, um, and then we've also had the outlaw story, which was before as well, you know, so it's like, we're really getting an understanding of how this phantom thinks. Um, yeah. and I, I just, I really like how you're focusing, you know, whether it's by design, by accident or, or, or whatever, but I really like how you're focusing on specific phantoms, your, your, um, you know, like, like. In reading these stories, we know that this phantom has a little bit of a funny side. You know, he he watches his wife eat snails, and um, <laughs> you know, or you know, yeah. And, and it's just like you know, he's a bit he's a bit cheeky, but it's you know, you're adding to the law of the phantom. I re I really like it. Well, the Lee Fawkes phantom in the third supporters was pretty funny. I think hmm. I don't want to bring back that. And uh, also, the phantom is a rather two-dimensional character. Yeah. And uh, one way to make him a bit more three-dimensional is to give him a great sense of humor. And also, we don't know anything at all about his wives from back then. Yeah. Almost nothing. They're just some women who are there. So I tried to give them some kind of character as well. Mm. You did that with, um, was it the 20th? Phantom's wife as well, like uh, I think it was at the end yeah. of Inked in Blood where they went shopping and yeah, know, the, yeah. you know, and it's it's just a little bit, you know, it's just a little bit, but it, it, it means you're able to um yeah, know a little bit more about it. Um uh, it humanizes them. Yeah, it humanizes um in the I think it was the second or was it the third part of this story where she actually rescues the phantom. Um, and it was just, yeah, it, it really did. In the Belle Epoque, yeah. Yeah. But um, I think we'll first introduce your 19th Phantom in um, Requiem, in the story of Requiem, which um, was in our annual back in, oh, it was in our war annual. Uh, yes. This one. That one, the one that you're holding up yeah. there. And I, and I saw that recently, it was recently published, was it last year, over in... Um, over in Sweden yes, and got, and got yeah, third yeah, place yeah. in the story of the year? Yes. Uh, well, actually second place. Because second? Ah. No, no, it was the third place, but yep. I like to think, think of it as second place because uh, first place was no, that devil story again. No, the story. <laughs> and it doesn't count. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's... that's <laughs> <laughs> so... 
this story really captured my imagination. I've I've actually got some original pieces of of this story in my collection. Um, it it just it just captured me. Um, I'm, we're looking at it now again. If you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see the Swedish version of this, uh, which again was published in black and white. Um, but oh, it, you did a great job with this, and Wendell did a great like job. Well. Um, Sorry Sorry, no, I was pouring a cup of coffee. It sounded like it was taking a leak. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed this story. Um, was there anything particular about this story that you know, like, what? Where did this story come from, or was it again the? Well, once again, it was kind of inspired by uh, Jacques Hardy, the French master artist who's made a lot of um, yeah. World War One comics. And it was also inspired by the, the, the last episode of Blackadder, you know, the British oh, sitcom. That is one of the best episodes ever on TV. Yeah. Which is very dark and sad and mm. uh, gripping. And also it was inspired by it's about the vultures, and you know that first phantom story. I read vultures over Baku. Oh, yes, it's has a huge impression on me. So I wanted to do something really dark with the vultures. Yeah, well, you succeeded well, in this one. Yeah, yeah, you, you did that all right. <laughs> <laughs> just like like this guy, like just this scene here, where in the in the recom, it's on page fourteen in the Phantom Man issue. They massacre the you know half the village, and then he go. Then he sits down and plays the piano. It's just um, it's, it's kind of morbid that little bit. Well, that's what bad guys do. Yeah, mm. I also usually, usually an organ a huge organ, virtual organ, mm. while they laugh. Yeah, I also like how it covers the is it the aeronaut the daily story. Of the nineteenth Phantom as well, so again yeah. it mirrors up with that. Um, and for me, that just shows that it shows care in your writing style, but it also shows that you get the Phantom and you understand the importance of adding to what's come before you. And I think we see that with this, but we also see it with your saga of the Vultures story, which where you've created the origin of the Vultures. I always do a lot of research when I do the story, mm. and when it comes to the Phantom himself, I usually talk to Andreas, who's like, he's a real expert, he knows exactly when and where and what about the Phantoms. So I really try to find spots on the timeline where I can put the Phantom. Mm. Yeah. And then I do like I do do research for a long time when it comes to object. So, so what's it been like working for free? It's nice. It's uh, they're nice people. <laughs> usually, uh, usually only have a contact with uh, Glenn. So Glenn is a cool guy. And uh, Glenn knows the Phantom as well. 
And that, that's important. You really know the phantom, what it is and what it's not. And the problem with like most American phantom books, it's like the people who made them didn't seem to know who the phantom mm. was. Yes. They just made them like Tarzan in tights or... Yeah. Or Batman in the jungle. Yeah. 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 Seems to be the critique we, we hear a lot from people. Yeah, when they talk about the American authors, is, is always it's one of those two things. Mm. Uh, one thing that is important to remember, remember, I think, is that the Phantom is not an action comic; it's an adventure comic. Mm. And the American artists uh, sometimes talk, they want more action. They want each after pace on the action on chases, and uh, that's not the Phantom need because. Phantom is like it should have a solid story, a mystery to solve or something like that. Mm. And I, I think, try to. Uh, uh, I, I, see, I think the Phantom can do action, but I think he he should be more than just action. Um, and I like when you use the word mystery or or, or detective or, or you know or whatever. Like, uh, yeah, he's more than just an action hero. He's yeah, yeah. So I, I do like that. I, I do get that in your stories as well, whether it's even even the horror stories like, um, oh, what was that horror? Evil Lurks. Was it Evil Lurks in the Night, uh, which has got the um, the cannibals? <laughs> you know, yeah. That, that um, was one of, the, one of the more horrific stories I've ever read, I think. Uh, but he had to, it wasn't just a, oh, solving the case. There was more taught than that. Um, so yeah, um, so when, so when you, when you've got an idea, how do you present that to Fru? Do you present it to them as a synopsis or is, is that like a half page idea or is it a line idea? How do you interact with Fru to be able to get your, to be able to get your story from your idea to being published in a comic? Well, sometimes it's just uh, a line or two I sent to Glenn. Like, hey, Glenn, what about Sony B? You know, the Scottish cannibal. Hmm, that's good. Develop it. <laughs> uh, but most of the time, uh, I, I send them a, a synopsis. And uh, they're usually a page and a half. But uh, <laughs> the, the latest one, the one story I'm writing right now, I think the synopsis is six pages Oh wow! Yeah. Which is more a treatment than a than a synopsis, but then this story will turn into a two or three part. I haven't decided. Okay. I'm, I'm letting the story take its time and see what happens. So, the, for us uneducated, what's the difference between a synopsis and a treatment? A treatment is more a more of a movie term. Uh, a okay. synopsis is like the very short version of hatred. And a screenplay or the full script, like when it comes to a movie, it's like 120 pages or something like that. Yeah. And uh, a treatment is a more detailed uh, synopsis, like maybe 10 pages. Okay. Okay. Well, you learn something new every day. Um, <laughs> But people um, usually people usually don't do treatments for comics. Yeah, 
that, but in this case, I, I wanted to add things so that, so, so I wouldn't forget them. So I put them in the synopsis, and uh, it became rather long. <laughs> you, 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 I kind of get the feeling from some of your stories that you do like your multi-part stories. Yes, I do. <laughs> of course. Okay, so, all right. So, going back to the other question. So, you, you write, you write your synopsis. Glenn approves it. Do you yeah. get any say in kind of like the the type of artist you want? Or does he suggest any to you? Or maybe I should add that after Glenn approves it, KFS is approved. Yes, of course. Yeah, and then it's back to me. But uh, well, sometimes I have a saying when it comes to the artist, and uh, it's good if I know which artist it is because if I do know who's going to draw it, right, especially for him. Like okay. I did with the two stories by John Butch. Yeah. So could you uh, elaborate on that? How did you, did you make it more darker because Joan Boyd's uh, style lends itself more to that or? Well, Glenn asked me to write a vampire story for John Bush. So I was <laughs> like, yeah. And I had this idea about Tepish and uh, Dracula and uh, other things so when I'm going to write I see his art in my head which makes it easy and the story I'm writing right now it's going to be drawn by Anthony's A so I, I picture his images in my head while writing yeah and, and, I, and I know I know his strengths so I try to put things the artists are good at drawing mm. on things they like drawing. Yeah, that's that's very fascinating. Um, I, I, cause, so <clears throat> can you? <clears throat> so if I if I give you a name, could you let us know how you would, what you would write for that artist's strength? Like let's say Anthony Spay, for example. <sighs> Putting you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, well, well Spay has a kind of a typical American superhero style, and uh, it draws a very big muscular phantom. But it, when it did the, the Vulture story, he was really good at drawing the village of the towns. Mm. And uh, so, in that way, he's kind of perfect for this new story. Writing and uh, John Bush told me he likes to draw old trees and tumbling buildings. So what? I put some, you know, old scary-looking trees on the crumbling buildings in it. Yeah. Um, the nest of the undead. That was the one that ended on the cliffhanger where you weren't sure whether he really was. Yeah. yeah. I really liked. I really like the ending of that one. Do you remember that one, Steve? Is that the Scottish cannibal? No, the evil lurks in the night was the Scottish cannibal. Uh, oh, that was the... Um, is that uh, Vlad? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes, I do remember that one. I did enjoy that one. This one? Yes. Vlad, oh, Vlad the Impaler, and then ended up getting impaled at the end. 
Oh, sorry yeah. for anyone who hasn't read it. <laughs> and then they ran away. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if I can find it. No, I don't have a copy of that one on my computer. Um, but, yeah, that's that's interesting how I really find it fascinating how you can tailor your script in a sense to be able to play at the strengths of of um of uh so do you just want to show that show us again i've just pinned you so that way the viewers should if you're on youtube you'll be able to see this again yeah Uh, Yeah. right oh shuck um, but, like Mortal Kombat. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really appreciate that little bit of an insight there, um, Peter. Um, so you've done you've done uh, stories with a few different artists. We've got Todoro, Foley, Cavalanti, Boish, Paulos, uh, Dantas, um, and Spay, and then now Okra. Uh, That's a wide range of different artists. Um, do you have some, uh, do you have like a favorite who was, who you enjoyed, uh, collaborating together? Cause I've, a lot of the artists that I've, that I've talked to who have done stories for you, they've said that, um, you're very, you, you know, you, you like to communicate with them as they're drawing it and you're very open in communication with them and, and, you know, it's, it's like a, you know, like a, like a marriage in the sense that you really work together to do the story. Um, do you have like a favorite artist that you've worked with so far? Uh, well, I don't think you should mention that now because that's <laughs> rude to the others. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Okay. It probably is, but <laughs> probably doesn't, is, doesn't make, it doesn't make good for a podcast if you don't answer <laughs> the questions though. Uh, uh. But one one thing we did, which was pretty interesting, it's uh, I did a story with Giancarlo. Oh, I can't recall his last name. The Italian guy who did the uh, Frankenstein graphic novel. Giancarlo. Oh, Giancarlo Cadoza. Cadoza. <laughs> yeah, I know the one. We know who um, you're talking about. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Giancarlo and I, we did a story that takes place at the Le Mans Saint Michel in uh, France back in the uh, 18th century, I think. And uh, Giancarlo sent me uh, the pencil pages before he inked them. So Glenn mm-hmm. and I approved the layouts and the pencils before he inked them. And when it comes to researching a story, I actually got hold of. British woman working for the poorest agency at uh, Le Mans Saint Michel in France. So I sent her the pencil pages just to check them if uh, the details are right, correct. Mm-hmm. And so, so she, she did a little notes on the pencil, on the sketches. I wrote, no, this tower wasn't there 300 years ago. So it looked like this. And she sent me some old painting. And then we oh. sent it all back to Giancarlo, who corrected it to make it look like it really did yeah, in wow. the 1700s. Yeah, I, I love hearing stories like that. Just like you know, like um, you know, just the the stories that you know, we we, t- we we read a comic, we take it for granted, but hearing about 
you know, the care that the artists and the creatives have taken, the, the history, it, um, it really adds to the story. So, you know, do you know when that story is going to come out? I have no idea, but uh, it would be full colour. It was coloured by Giancarlo's daughter. And um, sometime soon, I think. It was finished last year, so it's been, been read for a long time. So. Oh. So well, that, that's still quite short in, if this is true, <laughs> that's still quite short in Fru's uh, back catalogue. We've heard that there's a few stories that, <laughs> that they're sitting on the, that they've had. Excuse me, I just had a notification here. There's a football game going on, so I'm just going to check. There was a goal right now. Uh, did you tell him to score? Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> they did. They scored. <laughs> on, on that same vein, um, the team that I broke for beat the team that danced <laughs> that Dan barracks for to, uh, today. So uh, I'm is that pretty why happy. Not, is that why, that's why didn't come and, on? And, and Dan's not here for me to crow to him about. <laughs> um, so one of the stories that really uh, spoke to me and spoke to a lot of fans, it seems, was the uh, Jungle Love story. Yeah. And working with Shane is great. Shane is a really great guy. And... Uh, well, we, we, we did the, the same thing there, I think. Jane sent me the, the pencil pages and we went through them and, well, we did it all together, I think. So was it you that put in all the Easter eggs or was it pretty much um, uh, Shane that just kind of... No, it was Shane. It was Shane. Mm. <laughs> it was a nice touch. I really liked that. You should take claim credit for it. Well, uh, I put stuff in other comics, so in other stories, like in in uh, a second part of uh, uh, the Belle Epoque, the one that ends in Venice, there's like uh, the, the Italian comic book hero, uh, Corto Maltese, sitting there in the background, and that's to my credit. Hmm. Well, just uh, if you're on YouTube, you'll just see. Um, now, did I did I remember something about that you did another Captain Congo story or something? Yeah, Shane and I we did another Captain Congo story, which is it's finished. It's been finished for several years, and uh, just hoping they would publish it someday. Well, <laughs> see, that's the that's more of the story that we hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a picture of it framed on my wall. Of the Captain Congo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So is that is it a phantom story or is it kind of like something that will probably appear in their giant size comics? Well, it's more like a Mad Magazine parody of Jungle Heroes. Oh, okay. It's, it's, I find funny and Shane thought, thought it was hilarious. So I don't know. <laughs> But they have stupid jokes, and uh, the heroine, she's attacked by a lion, and she screams, help, help the phantom, and they say, no, this is Congo. Oh, help, help Tintin. <laughs> I'm intrigued to read that now. Awesome. Yeah, now I really enjoyed this story of uh, Jungle Love. I thought, because that was with the um, the sequel 
thing that Fru did for the was it the seventy fifth or the eightieth anniversary? And I thought you really nailed the brief um, with that one. So, do you have a favourite story? Oh, the ones I've written. Uh, yeah, it's always the it's usually the latest one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, I really liked uh, Ink and Blood because uh, I've always been fascinated by the. Uh, American comic book uh, industry, especially horror comic industry in the 1950s, and the censorship thing going on. And um, so I really enjoyed doing Ink and Blood. It became a rather, rather a unique comic, not just a, not for being just a phantom comic, it's unique in general because of its. And then I really like uh, Belle Park Suite. So you've read three parts now, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's one with Percy. Um, I'm really enjoying Percy's artwork as well. It, I was a huge Caesar Spadero fan uh, growing up on Phantom. So I get a lot of nostalgia reading that story because he, you know, he, there's a lot of heavy influence from him. And I thought it matches your your writing as well, so I've I've, I've been enjoying it. Glenn sent me the sixth part the other day, so now now I've read them all, and the sixth one is beautiful. Oh it's wow! Very, it's very atmospheric, I'm moody. I'm yeah, yeah. No, um, so that will be out. Uh, what in the next? The next couple of months, I'm assuming, or the remaining three parts. Well, I'm not the one to ask about that. <laughs> you ask it through. I have no idea. I have no idea. But uh, I've seen the covers for the parts, and uh, the last part has been a letter. So cool. Within well, soon. Within soon. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That sounds promising. Um, I know we've, um, uh, in our reviews on the podcast, we've enjoyed it. Um, so, Stephen, I'm going to ask you a question. Of the, ask me a question. Of the various stories that, uh, that, that Peter has worked on, do you have a favourite? Ah. What is that? Yeah, hang on. I'll go back to the list so I don't... <laughs> um, oh... Well, when you were mentioning Inking Blood, I thought, yeah, I, I do remember enjoying that. And and having, well, spoken to you now for the last half hour about your, your love of the horror, or you want to to first read the horror comics and being um, and not allowed to, and, and then later have, falling, having that love for them. Um, I can see where Inking Blood had, has got its genesis from, if you like. But um, I thought, well, you, you, I thought you hit it out of the park with Shangri-La. I thought that was... A, I wasn't expecting much out of uh, that mm. story, and not because of what the story was. It was in the um, the book that it was in. Um, from memory, it was The the Phantom's World, and um, it was... And I wasn't... Yeah, the Phantom's World didn't set the world on fire, unfortunately. Um, but then you'd get these stories every now and then which, which blew you away and, and really take you by surprise. And I remember Shangri-La 
being one of those stories. And I think that, that was a lot better than what I thought it was going to be. Um, Jungle Love was a good fun. But um, every story in the, the Phantom Goes to War um, annual was brilliant. And Requiem, as you were just going through the art um, before Germ, um, just reminded us, reminded us um, how good each one of those stories are. So uh, your first three stories that, um, that we saw in through, I think, have been three of the three of the best if I'm going to be um, if we've got to pick a couple um, but I am enjoying the the this latest ones um, with the Phantom in, in Paris um, I'm looking forward to reading the next three parts and especially after you've just spoken about it then um, I did like you going back to the vultures um, a few times but I think a few other authors also gave us some vultures so that one probably um, goes down only because we got oversaturated with vulture stories at the time. But um, on the whole, um, those first three stories, Shangri-La, the, whoops, there it is up there. Um, and I've just lost my list. Yeah, so sorry. That sounds uh, silly. And, and forget the name of the story I just mentioned a moment ago. <laughs> Shangri-La, Jungle Love and Requiem. Yes. So this is the, um, this is the Shangri-La story. Again, the Phantom is drinking milk in this story. Yeah. Um, I love it when he's drinking milk. Well, he's actually drinking a white Russian in this story. But um, <laughs> in, a, in a lot of stories, you, you really play on this whole milk drinking gag. Of course. Is there a reason for that? Is that because you think it's a bit ridiculous or? It, it is ridiculous, but that's what the Phantom does. It drinks milk. <laughs> and people don't use it that much. You need to drink more milk. And I remember, I think it was like 15, 20 years ago, I was sitting in my hometown in a bar at the desk, at the, sitting at the bar, and uh, I was wearing my phantom rings, the skull ring. And uh, suddenly the bartender puts a glass of milk in front of me. <laughs> oh, that's and, awesome. and says, it's from the man over there and points. Then it was a, like a guy I knew who was sitting in a corner in the back. <laughs> <laughs> that is classic. That's awesome. I love that story. <laughs> um, so this is a question we actually uh, uh, asked Mikkel, uh, no, um, Matt Kahn in the last podcast. Do you think the Phantom should be allowed to have a wine with his wife in the Skull Cave? Well, you should have a what? Should be able to have a wine with his a wife, wine with his, with, with his wife in the Skull Cave, or should he just stick to milk? He should uh, stick to he should stick to milk, water, fruit juice, whatever that's not alcoholic. Uh, that's what he does. It's yeah. like having the Phantom drinking wine is against his character. I agree. I fully support that. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Jim? You've, you've... Um, I, I will admit, I I love the... There was a scene in, I think it was the first uh, Bella Epoch series where he's drinking the milk halfway through the fight scene. And, and you know, and then was it in the first like one Popeye also? with his spinach. Yeah, yeah. There was also <laughs> in the first one where his wife's you know, they're sitting at the table and, um, and you know, they're, they're ordering a drink. And he's about to order, you know, the Phantom's about to order a, 
a milk. And then his wife goes, no, you will not have a milk. I'm over you having a glass of milk. And it, it's, a, it's a cool avenue to be able to have a bit of, a bit of fun with the Phantom. Um, and, and I think the more I've read these stories and then seeing that again in the Shangri-La story, which we were flicking through before as Steve was talking about it, it's kind of made me realise just how much I do like that. I was almost warming to, yeah, you could probably have a wine. But after tonight, now I'm, I'm firmly on the, milks, <laughs> on, on the milk side of the fence again. It, it has to be milk. <laughs> well, personally, I, I, I haven't had a glass of milk in over 30 years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we always had milk. Rarity, with, isn't it? <laughs> we always had milk with dinner when I grew up. We did <laughs> in Sweden in the 70s, 80s. And uh, I realized, oh, why, why are you doing this? I, I don't like it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I prefer a glass of water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what about you, Jim? You, 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 you asked me to name my favorite story, and I, <laughs> I brought, brought it down to three. What about yourself? So mine would have to be Requiem again. Um, I really enjoyed that story. It, it, it was a great. I think the I think you and Wendell worked really well together. Um, well, from a reader's point of view, I think you worked well. I'm not sure what it was like actually in real life, <laughs> but we were fighting all the time. Yeah, still with the bruises, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I, I thought it worked really well. It was a great representation of what war was really like. Um, you just didn't pull any punches. Like there's the scene of the Phantom about to be pulled apart by four horses. Like I said, there was a scene where the vultures massacred half the village and then he sits down and plays Mozart or something on the, on the piano. As, um, and, and then there was great non, there was great secondary characters as well. Like there was the boys that, there was the boys that saved the day. There was the, 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 the bad guy who looked German or, or who was the vulture with the big beard and stuff like that. I just thought it had all the elements and I really liked it. Um, and then the other ones will probably be the Vultures origin story. I love the Vultures. Um, I enjoyed the saturation of the Vultures at the start, uh, the first six months of last year. Um, and I really enjoyed the origin story. Um, it was, you know, and then, and then there was that girl at the end as well. Uh, that's another thing that I've noticed with your stories, which I'll, I'll I'll get to in a second, in a second. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed the origin of the of the vultures. So they're probably my top two. Thank you. Um, so, in I'll have to say in what probably all of your stories, maybe by your first couple, you've really left the door open for follow up stories. There's yeah. the, 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 there's the prologues, there's the, you know, whether it was the Vlad, the impaler being impaled and then the phantom goes down to get the body and then there's no body or whether it's the guy out of the outlaws, oh, who were the outlaws? I can't remember them at the top of my head. Um, the two guys who changed their face and then they bump into the phantom. Who's casting on Sundance kid? Yeah. So, you know, there's all the, in a lot of your stories, You've seemed to open. There's the cat burglars in uh, Bella Epoch number two, I think it was, 
in all of these yeah. stories, there seems to be... I'm writing a sequel to that one right now. Okay. <laughs> so is, is that by design where you kind of like, well, you know, I'm not going to tie everything up because I want to write sequels, I want to write more stories? I want to write a story taking place in Venice, and that story ends in Venice. And also, I liked the cat burglars, the chat and the, his wife or girlfriend. So... Having characters you enjoy writing about. It's a, it's a good author trick to keep him employed, you see. <laughs> if you don't tie the ends up, you can always, you've always got room to write a sequel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, it's good to see the Phantom not always wrapping everything up in a, in a nice bow. You know, you know we, all, we all love Lee Falk. He did a great story. He did a great job and stuff like that, but too often it was kind of like it was very samey. It was like capture the bad guy and then he kisses Diana in the you know in the jungle or at the the last panel. It's becomes a bit cliche at times. Where I enjoyed like you know the Phantom puts him in jail and then he goes spend some time with his wife and then you know whole and behold they've escaped. It's um I like it. I stopped reading the Phantom in nineteen eighty one. I stopped buying the comic in Edouard because the stories were all like Diana kidnapped, Rex kidnapped, Gaga kidnapped, Zzz <laughs> kidnapped. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, it was the same stories all the time and it got so boring. And uh, you, could, you could tell that Lee Falk didn't have his heart in it anymore, just did it. And, uh, yeah. So will we see a story with his? Uh, no, he's been kidnapped. So he <laughs> 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 hasn't found him yet. <laughs> so hers has got to go looking for him. Hers is a is a female Avenger story. Story hers. <laughs> what about Steggy? Are we going to see any stories with Steggy? No, he's on rehab. I think <laughs> he drank that wine Diana had bought, and uh, you know. <laughs> the uh, phantom hid the wine somewhere and the steggy found it drank it and then magic story <laughs> classic when yeah. it comes to Shangri-La by the way since you were talking about Shangri-La uh, I had to change the premises for that story quite a lot before I wrote the script because the original story the synopsis is based in 1932 and uh, it was all supposed to be like a, a typical matinee adventure type of story from the 1930s. However, then I had to make it a follow-up to the story that... Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> I forgot and, his name. And Angela Todera. Uh, yeah, Angelo, Angelo, of course. Angelo had written a story himself at the place in China in modern day. And um, so I had to update my story so it takes place today, which made it all more problematic. Because in the original version, the Phantom and the bad guys just walk onto an old airplane somewhere in China and take off. But now we need to have this uh, modern day airport yeah. with secu security and uh, passports and uh, things like that which made it more complicated mm. but you got to a, 
uh, insert the uh, white Russian uh, joke. Yeah, 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 I did. <laughs> so there's the payoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so was it a bit of a thrill to see your stories appear in Phantom Man, in the Phantom Man magazine? Yes, yes. Uh, it's pretty amazing to see it. You know, what is like here, yeah, almost 50 years later, what is 40, 46 years later. I, I could never imagine that when I bought that picture in 1976 that I one day should write stories about this character. Mm. And I haven't published in this uh, comic book. You've gone the long so. way. You've gone the long <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what's even, what's even more uh, cool is that uh, this year's Swedish Christmas album out sometime in, the, I don't know, September, October, I think. Uh, it will have Shangri-La in it. Oh, in nice. full color. And they always have this reprint of an uh, old album. and this year it's this one. Oh wow <laughs> that is cool that, so it, 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 in that christmas album this year it's my first phantom story plus the first phantom publication i read yeah yeah no, that's that is very cool you could is, not have you could have not scripted that any better well i did script it no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do you have any uh, Team Phantom End stories in the works, or are you um, solely on Team Free? Well, there was one story I wrote for Free, but Glenn thought it was much like another Free project. So, well, I sent it to Andreas, so let's see what happens. Because okay. uh, Glenn thought the story was good. And I think Andreas thinks it's good as well. It was just like he had another project similar. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll, it'll be good. So, will the Shangri La story, is that going to be coloured? Yes. Awesome. That would be nice. Um, I've seen some of the work that uh, the the coloring team does, and they do some really good work. Yeah, they do. Uh, I began buying the Phantom again in the late eighties when I realized they had a new artist and writers, such as Klaus and uh, Hans and uh, people like that. And then when it turned to color, I stopped buying it again because face it, it looked like shit. Those <laughs> early. The coloring was terrible, so I stopped buying it again. But now, since last in years, I think you know, Repostugan, their coloring is great. Thank you. Yeah, I've seen some of them, even some of the stories that they've done of uh, George George Bess, and when he originally done them in black and white, and they've colored some of those stories, they've looked really well as well. Yeah, that kind of works. Uh, Valve looks a bit strange, I think. Uh, yeah. Valve, his, his, his style was so black and white. Mm. So it's really, it, it's all based on facts. Yeah. And, uh, but then I, I think The Phantom is a black and white comic. And 
the, the whole atmosphere kind of disappears in color, I think. And what people don't think of, it's like the Phantom himself, his suit. Like in Scandinavia, where it's blue, it's like a traffic light walking around in the jungle, <laughs> sneaking around in the darkness. So here comes this big blue and red traffic light. Woo! <laughs> Um, do you know if uh, Phantom Men are reprinting any of the, any of the other stories? Will they be doing the the Vultures Saga or, or anything yes. like that? Uh, they would do the Vultures Saga, and uh, the Outlaws is coming up very soon. Oh, nice! Uh, I've translated it, so I think it's about to be color right now. And, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And the vultures will be in color as well. Oh, I look forward to that. Um, does Andreas know Rafael Dante's correct name? Um, yes, I actually asked Andreas yesterday. Did you spell it right? <laughs> we did write the correct name. So, for those who don't know, um, the Outlaw story, which was, oh, I can't remember at the top of my head what free story it was, but they've. 1877? Yeah, something about that. They got the wrong... Um, uh, yeah. Do you just want to show us again, sir? Uh, 1877. Look at that, Steve. Well done. Um, at bro. I'm prepared. I came prepared. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was Dudley put the wrong artist on there. So, And it was his first story as well, Paul Raphael. Um, I, I really enjoyed his work on that story. Rafael Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's from South America. It's like, oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> poor, poor bloke. Um, so, so it's good that um, Andreas has got that right. Um, so that, so that, so with with that story and the vulture story in color. Have you seen the vultures? Have you seen any panels of the vulture story in color? Uh, no, no. But you've seen the outlaws? They, they haven't started working on it. Okay. I, I just know that they're going to run it. I don't know when. Yeah. Andreas just told me. But I've seen Shangri-La in colour, and it looks really good in colour. Does it look better in colour or black and white, in your opinion? No, it looks better in colour. Okay. I'm And what about outlaws? Have you seen any of that? No, no, I haven't seen it. Okay. And I think Andreas sent it to the colourist. Oh, okay. But yesterday, um, uh, Stephen, you got, I've got a couple of creator tough questions I want to ask. Do you have any more questions about his stories? Oh, about oh, probably not about ones that have gone past. Um, I'm just thinking about you know what about in the future. Have you got a, a, any stories in your in your head that you'd really like to 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 write? Are we going to see more of the 19th? Are we are we going to see more historical phantoms or will we get a, a, a modern day phantom? Because you've been like, from what I've read, you've only done two stories that got the 21st phantom and a whole plethora that got older phantoms in there. Will, will we see any modern day phantom stories in the future? Yes, uh, I have written two modern day phantom stories, I think. And uh, But the thing is, it's so much easier to write the uh, pastime phantoms, the historical phantom story, because uh, the phantom as a character works a lot better in the past 
There's so much today you have to think about when a writer, like the air, for instance, and uh, the whole thing about living in a cave in the jungle, like everybody should be able to find that cave today using modern technology. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's so much that really doesn't work. However, the Phantom is perfect for the uh, 1800s, early 1900s. And, uh, well, so, so the most of my stories will be about the Phantoms. Also, I like to choose eras that, I, that I'm interested in, objects I'm interested in, personally, so. Mm. Place as I enjoy. So, so a few, few more of the 19th Phantom then. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should only write about the 9th Phantom. So <laughs> live for 150 years. <laughs> Here's the reason we only have 21, 21 Phantoms now because the 19th lived for a very long time. Jim, Jim looks like he's yep. focused there. He's got a story. He looks like he's got a question burning to ask. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask. So that's good. So, as, so one of the questions that we've asked a couple of other creators the last couple of podcasts we've done is, as a creator, do you think the 21st Phantom should die? Should we pass on the, the, the mantle to the 22nd Phantom? Or should he always be the 21st Phantom? Well, they did jump from the 20s to the 21st in the, what was it, late 70s or late 80s, something? Uh, the 20th, no, the 20th Phantom became the 21st suddenly. Not, not yeah. the newspaper, not, not over here. It's always been 21. Uh, I, I was reading uh, some old Phantom comics from 1974 the other day, Swedish Phantom comics, and... Uh, on their rights somewhere at well this is the 20th phantom so he was the 20th phantom in 1975 1974 yeah keep writing it in the several issues this is the 20th phantom our phantom is 20th and yeah. then, then they skipped one phantom and he became the 21st okay I, to be honest i'm not sure about that one i know I think from memory, there was once when Lee Falk wrote that it was the 16th Phantom. Um, and then I'm pretty sure it was from about the 50s or the 60s that Lee Falk wrote that it was the 21st Phantom. So it might have been, I don't know, it might have changed in Sweden. But um, do you, would you like to see the passing of the mantle so that way all the timelines... And everything makes sense, or you're happy it always being the current phantom? I haven't given it that much thought, but if I were to take over the King Peter strip, I think I would jump straight to the 23rd or the 24th phantom. Just skip everything. So he's got a new wife and a same skull cave, but a new gang of friends and relatives and whatever. Just to get it right. Yeah. So we don't have to think about all this. Uh, what, what, start a, a fresh start over, a reboot taking place today with a, a number that makes sense. I don't know. 
It's comics. Comics aren't had... supposed to make sense. <laughs> they can make sense, but um, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, no, okay. the, the, the thing is, like, it, it does get problematic when you think about the, the Phantom timeline. I mean, mm. it try the right story, so it would be good to like have it fixed in a way. Yeah, I I think it will make it will make it more more palatable and just easier. But that's just my opinion. I'm sure there's plenty out there that don't agree with us. And if you don't, make sure you hit us up on social media or email and you can be on the side of Steve. Um, Ul fixed it, uh, fixed it, it back in the 1980s, I think. Yeah. Gone back. yeah. And so, okay, finally, we have a good time. And then came New Fork and it just messed it up again. Yeah. Yeah. And Elf... Elf was probably along the you know lines of you know yeah you're right he I think he had it and then they did the year one saga which was the Phantom doing it in the seventies I think it was but then you know twenty years later we've got the same problem yeah so as a creator I think we always you know especially you because it's you know you get paid to do this but. So getting new fans into the Phantom is important. So, uh, again, this is another question that I've asked a few uh, creators as well. Do you have any ideas or strategies or opinions on how, whether it's the publishers from a, a Team fans or, you know, from an Egmont free point of view or from a King Features point of view, but do you have any ideas on how we could get more fans and new fans, younger fans, into the Phantom? I think it's pretty impossible. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what to do because the sales are declining and uh, mm. I don't know what to do. Subscriptions went up during the pandemic in Sweden. But the, 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 that was then. I, I, I don't know what to do because uh, just face it, kids don't read comics. Yeah. No, no matter what it is. So, well, I have a, no idea what to do. That's a very uh, doom and gloom uh, <laughs> answer to that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I really don't know what to do because uh, if kids did read comics, well, we, we, we don't even have any. Marvel comics coming out in Sweden anymore. It's just a long time. You know, everybody oh, loves wow. Spider-Man and the Marvel movies, but they don't read the comics. They don't even know they're based on comic books. Mm. So today, Marvel is just movies. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think it was in... I can't remember where I heard it, but now they're, they're resetting the comic from what I heard, resetting the comic books to kind of match what's happening in the movies. So, yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, the, the Swedish word for comics is serious. And uh, if you say serious today, people think you're talking about TV shows. Mm. So we have to like call comics something else to make people understand what we're talking about. We can't, can't just say serious which has been like comics for years. 
<laughs> or 75 years at least. And uh, the, 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 there's a Swedish pod called like something like uh, the Serious Nerds. And it's not about comics, it's about TV. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's all very strange. I suppose even in our, um, uh, like a supernova and our comic conventions over here, it's more about, you know, movies and TV shows than actually the comics. Yeah, no, the same here. Mm. I haven't been to the comic cons because I find it kind of, I'm not, I'm not interested in uh, getting an autograph from some actor who played the the right leg of a monster in the Tolkien <laughs> movie or whatever it was, or some has been that needs to sell autographs to survive. <laughs> um, Which is basically what the comic cons yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and there's no argument from me. I don't go there for the TV, sh TV stars or that either. Um, I don't know who they are because I, I never watched TV shows. Mm. So, is there a, is there a phantom that that a past phantom that does interest you that you wouldn't mind exploring at a later later date? I don't know. I haven't thought about that. The phantoms themselves are rather similar, I think. Yeah, so it really doesn't matter which phantom. Uh, it is the eras I'm interested in. Okay. So what about a, a, a Lee Fork story or a, a Teen Phantom Men story and there's been a hole left at it and that you thought, oh, I wouldn't mind exploring that a bit more, anything like that as well? Well, if I find something, sometimes I look through the Phantom Wiki and try to find something that... Uh, to find gaps in the timeline yeah. and see if I can come up with something for that. But I, I need a good story first. The story is the most important thing. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Cool. And I like like really solid stories. Hmm. And what was good about the Swedish Phantom comic in the seventies and eighties was that you always got a thirty-two page Phantom story often with um, eight panels of eight, which made it a really good, solid story. Yeah. And now it's 24 pages, and sometimes just six panels of eight, which made, makes it like, you know, well, it's not the same. It's not as... Yeah, they're more yeah. simpler stories, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, unfortunately, like, I, I hear what you come, what you're saying, because I really like the 32-page um, stories. But I was finding just before they went down to 24 that there seemed to be a lot of waffle. Like there was a lot of setup for the story to happen. Then the story would happen. Then there'd be a, a break, you know, uh, the debrief, if you like. Whereas now we just get the story and it's just crisp and, and clear. So I, I do see positives and pros and cons on both sides. Um, yeah, you, 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 you need to adopt the story yeah. after the page count, of course. If you only have 24 pages, make a story you can tell at 24 pages. Yeah. Klaus had problems with that when they went from 32 to 22 and then 24 because his stories were still 
32 pages. You had to tell a 32-page story in 22 pages. Yeah. Which but, um, made them a bit uh, messy, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I think what, um, what was happening late or recently um, was the opposite, whereas, you know, class was having trouble getting 32 down to 22. People were having trouble trying to get, you know, maybe used to writing 24 or 22 pages and, and spreading them out to 32. And so now they've ducked it back to, you know, the 22, 24 page. But either way, I'd love to see a, a full 32 page story. I do enjoy that. And like, and a proper full, fully fleshed out story without any yeah. waffle. Yeah. Well, I had, I had a problem with the Ink and Blood, which was supposed to be one 32 page story. And I had to cut it up and do it too. Yeah, that's right. 24 or 22 page, I don't remember. Uh, and uh, so when I, when I expanded it, it turned out that I got a couple of blank pages because those 32 pages couldn't fill 44 pages or whatever it was. Mm. And that's why I have some action scenes that go on a little too long because there was a more story to tell. I had to expand certain sequences. So I had to make the action scenes longer. Um, that's, that's a good question. Um, so, from what from what I understand, and I'm, you know, I'm just a comic reader myself. You write more from a European style, and then you've dealt with Jason Paulos, Anthony Spay, that are more, I would probably say, more drawing from a an, an American style, which are less panels. Uh, and stuff like that. How how how's that how's that gone? Do you have to simplify your writing, or do you have to hold their hand a little bit more so they know how to pace and place the the panels better? I wouldn't say that I'm writing in a European style because I think the reason uh, Team Fantoma stories have eight panels a page is like when they edited the folk stories into the comic book, it turned yeah. out that way. So when they continue doing their own stories, they just try to make it look like they edited the yes. folk story. And by myself, I haven't been reading comics from, you know, I've read a lot of American comics growing up, so six, okay. five, six panels a page, that's nothing new to me. And the humor comics are right, like, uh, here's one I've written, Nityatan, and they are, they're just five or six page panels a page. Mm. And when it comes to the comic book format, the traditional comic book format, six panels is easier to, to do. To, uh, well, it, it often looks better with just six panels. While the uh, traditional French Belgian format is, you know, the large albums. They have eight to twelve panels of each. Mm. Yeah, I, re I read a lot of Asterix and Tintin, so. Yeah. And that was a problem when they ran, you know, the, the backup comics in the Fantoma, uh, when it did run like uh, Blueberry, Région Giraud, or the other French albums. There was like huge pages shrunk into the comic book yeah. format so the pandas were really tiny yeah in a magnifying glass to read it they do that sometimes with the free ones and i don't like it 
And um, the same with the they reprinted uh, when the, the Swedish Phantom comic turned. Well, what some uh, a few years ago when it turned seventy or whatever it was, they reprinted the first Phantom story, the very first, and uh, you know they printed it that way, and uh, the panels were extremely tiny. It took forever to read that that story because. Mm. Uh, a lot of dialogue, a lot of text, tiny, tiny panels. Yeah. Doesn't make well, for a fun experience, does it? No, it's, yeah, and a comic should be fun. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, chatting with you uh, today or, or tonight, wherever you're, what time people are listening. Um, I'm out of questions. Steve, you got any other questions you want to ask? No, I'm tapped out. <laughs> Um, do you have anything that maybe you wish we'd asked or you got any announcements or anything you want to like leave us with? Well, I don't know, but the, <laughs> the election in Australia brought back Glenn Lumsden to Facebook. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I haven't um, checked that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've checked the election. I haven't checked Glenn Lumsden. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, he, uh, he's a happy man, I think. <laughs> now he wrote them that he left Facebook because of the upcoming election. <laughs> it made him too upset reading uh, well, things on social media. But, but what it was interesting is like, uh, since I began writing for through. I realized that I really don't know very much about Australia. <laughs> or I didn't know very much about Australia because it's Australia is something far away. It's like Mad Max country. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, they like Abna and they like The Phantom. They make Mad Max movies. Oh, we like uh, the, Ikea as well. Yeah, well, and everybody. The, and the Swedish meatballs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a work colleague that goes to IKEA probably once a fortnight just for the Swedish meatballs. Well, I'm surrounded by IKEA right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, look, I really enjoy um, enjoy your time tonight. I've been enjoying your stories. I think you've added a lot to the character. Uh, like with the the Reekham stories, um, you, you've had depth to past Phantoms, uh, especially like the 19th Phantom and, and stuff like that. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I uh, look forward to seeing more stories. I think um, uh, you know your Phantom as well, which always helps. Uh, there's too many creators that don't know the character well enough. Um, and I think seeing you know the character probably makes... Uh, Glenn's job a little bit easier. Um, so I'm sure he'll be thankful for that as well. Um, uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope you've learned uh, something. I hope you've enjoyed um, uh, learning more about the, the stories as well. If you want to learn more about us, our website is chroniclechamber.com. Uh, if you have any input you want to give us, you can either uh, do that via email, which is chroniclechamber at gmail.com, or of course our social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We have started talking to Duncan about maybe he can be our dancing phantom for TikTok, but uh, we're still in negotiations about that one. Uh, if you okay, want I've missed to... something there. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to subscribe to us, you can via uh, YouTube or your favourite podcast app. Uh, 
like iTunes or Spotify. Uh, so thank you, listeners. Thank you, uh, Peter. Thank you, Steve, for joining us. From myself, happy fandoming and stay safe. Yep. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Peter. And thank you for uh, sharing your stories, particularly the story that um, you, you spoke about with with Giancarlo and the care that to make sure that your the stories and your artwork and the scenarios are authentic to the times and. That shows you know, great care, even if we're just a comic reader, just clicking the pages. It shows a great care for, for the craft, and we thank you very much for it. Thank you. Enemies beware, the phantom's always there, but you won't find the phantom.